Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 59 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Acts chapter 27 today and our focus is on how God keeps his promises even though the ship might sometimes be utterly destroyed. Well, I got to tell you, a lot of things have happened since I recorded episode 58. Actually, that's not true. On Saturdays, I record two podcasts, so it's been like an hour since I've recorded episode 58. Hope you are doing well, though, on the weekend. I want to welcome new listeners in Pangasin in Philippines, Karnataka, India, Guatemala City, Guatemala, Champaign, Illinois, Anchorage, Alaska, and Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for listening. Thanks for checking out our website, Bible2021.com, and for sharing the show and leaving a review. God keeps his promises, no doubt about it, but God keeps his promises often in ways much, much different than what we might expect, and we are going to see a wonderful example of that in today's reading. First, however, I'd like to point out a couple of more instances in Acts from today's reading and yesterday's that seem to be good examples of various criteria of historical authenticity from our friend Luke. First, Acts 26-28 from yesterday, where Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? So Paul has given his testimony, and how much better of a story would it have made if Agrippa had been more open to the gospel? Maybe if he had converted to Jesus on the spot after such a great presentation of the gospel in Paul's testimony. However, as it happens, apparently Agrippa wasn't particularly moved, and Luke tells us this quite simply. Now, it would have been a better book, like in terms of uh, a fictionalized story, if Agrippa had converted. But this isn't fiction. It's reliable history. How about for today? Acts 27:24 The angel says to Paul, "Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar." So in the midst of a terrible storm when everybody is despairing and it looks like they're going to die, an angel tells Paul this, not to be afraid because he is ordained to appear before Caesar, the most powerful ruler in the world at the time. So now it all makes sense, right, Luke? Paul's friends had originally tried to get him not to go to Jerusalem and warned him that he might get arrested, but Paul goes anyway. When he's there, James attempts a very strange scheme to convince newly converted Jewish believers that Paul follows the law religiously, but this backfires and Paul is arrested. How neat of a bow would this have been on the whole story if all of those things led up to Paul speaking before the great Caesar and proclaiming the gospel to him? What a climax, right? That would have made for such a good story. Only, as we'll find out tomorrow, that's not at all how the book of Acts ends, is it? Luke doesn't even tell us whether or not Paul ever speaks to Caesar. It would have been such a perfect ending to this book, of course, thinking as a writer. But apparently, as of the date when Acts was completed, Paul hadn't met with Caesar So Luke, reliable Luke, didn't record that he did. No embellishing of the facts, no making up things, just genuine historical reporting. Good on you, Luke. We do, though, have this one little verse from Philippians 4.22, which says, All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So apparently that tells us Paul did evangelize some people in Caesar's household, 
Did he eventually speak to Caesar? Well, I believe he did. I think the angel was telling him something trustworthy, but the Bible doesn't record it simply. So let's read our passage today, thinking back on God's promises and how he fulfills them. And let's see how God fulfills his promise to Paul in the midst of this great tragedy in Acts 27, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. When it was decided that we were to set sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a certain centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had board a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea of off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailed for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, with difficulty, we arrived off of Snidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassay. By now, much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed towards disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, but before long a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, We were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis. They lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar, and indeed God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they had sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be ninety feet deep. Then, fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending they were going to put out 
anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you, take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them, and after he broke it, he began to eat. They were all encouraged and took food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach, but they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained unmovable, while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul, and so he ordered those who could swim to jump aboard overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. So here's the promise. It It's in verse 23 and 24. The angel appears and says, Don't be afraid, Paul. It's necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. That's the promise. God says not any of them are going to perish. In the fulfillment, we read in verse 44, it says, The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. Well, what happened between the promise and the fulfillment? Well, so much. The boat crashed. It was dashed to pieces by the waves. The prisoners were almost killed by the soldiers, and everybody had to somehow swim to shore in no doubt shark-infested waters with a lot of them who couldn't swim, and yet every one of them made it safely. God keeps his promises, full stop. But sometimes in the midst of his keeping his promises, the ship is going to break up and things are going to look very, very, very dire. Trust in his faithfulness, even during those shipwrecks. He is utterly trustworthy and absolutely unpredictable. It reminds me of Mr. Beaver's wonderful observation about Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, remembering, of course, in that fictional book that Aslan is analogous to Jesus. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, said Mr. Beaver. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I will feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Well, is God safe? Of course not, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you, and he will keep his promises. And he will be. Absolutely unpredictable. Well, let's close with our verse of the month for February, last day, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Amen and amen. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May it be a wonderful Sunday for you. Good day to you and Godspeed.